Good morning, everybody out there in podcast land, and welcome to another episode of Jesus and Coffee, Amen. Give me a good cup of coffee. Give me a word that rocks me. A whole lot of Jesus and a little caffeine. This is a daily devotional slash Bible study where I read the scriptures, expound on them a little bit, work on finding something to motivate you through your day, something that will definitely motivate me through my day. If you love Jesus and you love coffee, this is the place for you. And if you don't love Jesus and or coffee, come on in anyway. Have a seat. Enjoy yourself. Listen in. You may like it. You may not. You may learn something. You may not. You may hate it. You may not. But I know one thing. It surely won't hurt you. So I'm going to have some coffee. I got my Bible open in front of me. I got a nice hot mug of dark roast coffee. So I have everything I need to get my day started. So let's dig into the scriptures. Let's pray. Let's meditate. And let's just get going. Jesus and coffee. Amen. Only you make me come alive. Only you can satisfy It's a supernatural high. Jesus and coffee, amen. Well, thank you, John Waller. Gotta love John Waller. Great Christian brother, humble man, very talented. Uh, Just a regular guy, very down to earth. My wife and I met him about a year or two ago uh, at a free concert he did in a church. All he wanted was a free will offering. Now, that's a humble guy. We spoke to him for about 20 minutes after the concert and... I was just so impressed with how down-to-earth and humble and real he was. So I hope you people listen to his music, support him, buy his music, go to his concerts. You won't be sorry. He is a really, really good guy. Today's reading is once again from the Gospel of John. Once again, the ESV or English Standard Version. John chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we ask you to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your holy word. Change us with your word. Because we desperately need to be changed. Speak to us through your word. Because we desperately need to hear your voice and reveal yourself to us from your word. Because we desperately need to know you. Amen. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So Jesus, his disciples, and his mother are at a wedding. The wedding must have been that of a relative or a close family friend, since Jesus was there, his mother was there, his brothers were there, his disciples were all there. Mary is concerned that running out of wine will cause the family to be ridiculed and wants Jesus to do something about it. Mary's concern for this family is another indication that these people are either related or very close friends. So Mary, in order to save the family from losing face, simply goes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Now at first glance, Jesus' response seems harsh to us. But it's not. Remember, please, this is a different culture. If you fast forward to the crucifixion in John 19, verse 26, he addresses his mother in the same way. Woman, behold your son. Jesus is close to death and he is concerned for her well-being and he tells John, behold your mother. No, this is not rude at all. This is an acceptable way to address your mom. He says, my time has not yet come. And for me, he must have also been thinking, but if I do this, it will be on the way. However, even though it's not written down there, Jesus is well aware that once he shows his power in this way, the countdown to the cross will begin. Because he will not be the political Messiah Israel expects. From the moment he took his first breath when he became flesh, the cross has been looming on the horizon, waiting for him. It's almost as if he is leaving what will happen next up to his mother. Do you really want me to do this? If I do, there will be no turning back. The cross awaits. I don't know if Mary hesitated or not. Maybe she looked at him in the eye. Maybe they exchanged a glance. Maybe he nodded his head. Maybe a few silent moments passed. What we do know is Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Did Jesus embrace his mother before she said that? 
Did he whisper in her ear, if I do this, it won't be long before they murder me. Did Mary weep? Did the family go to Capernaum for a few days after the wedding so they could be together before Jesus began his march to the cross? I don't know the answers to these questions. Scripture is silent on these questions, but they come into my mind when I read this passage. What I do know for sure is that this was the beginning of the end. This is what he came to do. He will change this water into wine. He will show his glory now, and in a few short years he will do it again when he is nailed to a cross. There he will pay a debt he did not owe, because you and I owe a debt we cannot pay. This will begin the sequence of events that lead straight to the cross, the place where justice met with mercy. Which reminds me of a song by Steve Green, My Soul Found Rest. Meditate, if you will, on these words. It was the holy love of God that paid my penalty. The judge and Savior gave himself for my iniquity. Then, from the fountain of his grace, I felt forgiveness flow to wash away my deepest sin my heart would ever know. In the cross, my soul found rest. By Christ's wondrous sacrifice, for justice met with mercy there, and God was satisfied. For justice met with mercy there, and God was satisfied. Pure white, mingled with red, as my Lord bled, and there my soul found rest. This the first of the signs, as John calls them, that he records is sometimes looked upon as less significant than the other ones. But I have to say that it's not in any way less significant. John carefully selected the events he recorded in his gospel. This this miracle, this sign has so many, so many deep meanings in it. The fact that he uses the jars that were there for purification shows that he's something different, that he's bringing a new order to the world. The fact that it happens at a wedding is once again saying that heaven has come to earth. It's a Look ahead to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we, who are born again, are his bride. It is, as I said, the beginning of the end. He starts down the road towards the crucifixion after this. Because he puts a target on his back. And if he had been the political messiah they wanted, that would have been okay, but he wasn't. And that was not okay. So eventually, praise God, he paid the price for your sin and mine.
meditate on this today, if you will. Thank you for listening in to Jesus and coffee. Amen. And be blessed.